Welcome to the Fully Engaged Church Podcast, your source to help your church grow in ministry effectiveness. We'll connect you with some of the leading thinkers in church world today to help you get fully engaged with your community, with God, and with everyone you encounter. If you're ready to see your church experience what it's like to be fully engaged, you've found the right place. You've found today's episode of the Fully Engaged Church Podcast, brought to you by Mag Bookkeeping. Greetings and welcome to a very special episode of the Fully Engaged Church Podcast. I'm Randy Anji, president of Mag Bookkeeping, and I'm delighted to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Sean Lovejoy, former pastor of Mountain Light Community Church in Cumming, Georgia. Uh, He was founder of that church, founder of uh, churchplanters.com, and has now launched a new uh, coaching ministry endeavor called CourageToLead.com and has written an awesome new book called Be Mean About Vision. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you today, Randy. You know I'm a big fan of everything you guys are doing. Awesome. Well, one of the things that you guys did especially well, Sean, I think, and it's a tribute to you, you passed the baton, and you use that terminology, passed the baton to a young leader really, really well. Um, and after I read Be Mean About Vision, I started to uh, figure out a little bit more why, because you had a really solid vision to hand off, didn't you? Yeah, you know, uh, so many times uh, in my writing about my new book, Be Mean About the Vision, people have thought that I'm giving leaders permission to be a mean leader. I know some mean preachers, you know, and I don't, I don't think I was a mean leader or a mean preacher, but, but we did fight with tenacity. Mm-hmm. you know, from day one to try to build this thing around a mission, not a man, yep. for, it, for it to be about a vision and then relentlessly preserve and protect it over time. And you don't know if you've done that, but when you walk away and that vision stays intact and everything doesn't crumble in the wake of your departure, like you know you've been mm-hmm. successful in that. And that's probably the most gratifying part of my ministry is the way I left mm-hmm. and how Mount Lake has done since I've left. I was I was uh, blown away, and I, I shared this with you earlier. But I've I've shared that with many other leaders. What a, what a great example that was of how to how to leave well and transition well, and it can be done. So that's encouraging. Um, so Sean, let's let's dig into this uh, vision topic a little bit. I know um, I talk to to pastors and church leaders a lot. This seems to be a, a somewhat mystical ethereal kind of topic that people have trouble getting their arms around. Talk to me a little bit about vision development. You know, I've been asked questions like, who should develop vision for a church? How many people should be involved? Just unpack that whole vision development process and what you've gleaned over the years about this for us. You know, you've got fervent, passionate, spiritual, Christ-walking, Christ-following people you know, in the church. And then you've got a, a little bit of carnality mixed in there. Mm-hmm. You've got people that don't spend time with God and don't hear from God, but they're successful businessmen or women in the community. Mm-hmm. They're helping forge the vision of that, that deal. And mm-hmm. all that's got so, sort of, sort of messed up, you know? So while I feel like there's a place for a plurality of leadership to help form that, you know, I am a big proponent of God speaking to a man first, a woman first, Every time God got ready to do something in the Bible, you know, he found a man, 
found when he whispered in their ear first. Then he had them go and, and call others to be part of the movement and be part of the vision. I think that's the way it happens, you know, and there's no, there's, everybody wants it to be easy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> everybody wants the vision process to be easy. And I actually think that's why there are so many copycat visions. Mm. Will Mazzini and I have talked about this, you know, yeah. the author of Church Unique and yeah. God Dream. There's too many copycat churches and cop- because they want to skip over the, what I call the wrestling with God process in life. And I tell leaders all the time, you can't skip over that. Mm-hmm. And that can take weeks, months, years. And the benefit that I had mm-hmm. before we had the first Sunday service at Mount Lake is we sat down, a few of us, four to six of us, mm-hmm. and we prayed and we fasted and we wrestled. And we, yes, we were on our faces you know, until we knew that we knew that we knew mm-hmm. that God had spoken. So, you know, I used to tell my like people all the time, whatever you do, don't say this is Sean's vision. Mm-hmm. I really believe this is God's vision. And, and you got to know that yeah. because if you don't know that, you know, that it's God's vision when it's attacked, when it's threatened, when it's questioned, you'll either give the vision away or you'll pack up and move when it, when it gets hard. That's an important distinction. Uh, in the book, you talk about the difference between a good idea and a God idea. So that's kind of along those lines. Unpack that concept a little bit. Well, you know, one of the challenges, I mean, I'm so, you know, it's such a great day to be in ministry because you can sit in front of your computer monitor and learn from a thousand churches. Uh, it's amazing what's available there due to technology. But there's a great tendency there to run around from good idea to good idea to good idea versus me spending the time doing the hard work, getting on my knees with my journal and my Bible. But what is the unique calling and vision? My life? How does it come out of my testimony? You know, how does this ministry mission look through the contextualized lenses of my experiences and my gifts and, and really wrestle down that unique vision? That, that's a God idea versus all the good ideas. And, and I just feel like in ministry today, there are a lot of churches with good ideas, but the ones that are so powerful are the ones with God ideas. They're not doing anything that's clever in terms of ministry model or music, but their leaders know that they know that they know that God spoke to them mm. and, and they're passionate about it. And I think that's contagious when everybody knows whether the leader's got a good idea or a God idea. Nobody might, people may not be able to even articulate that, but people know when the church has got some cleverness to it, you know, or whether there's some miraculous stuff going on and God's, people know. Especially those that have some spiritual discernment. Yeah. That's great. Do you you think that, um, because you've worked with a lot of church planters and you've helped planters immensely, do you think they feel the pressure sometimes to, conjure up or produce a mission and vision too quickly? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think most because of financial pressures and mother church pressures and denominational pressures, you know, a lot of guys, they, they need to launch quick and most of them launch too soon and they launch underfunded mm-hmm. and they, they know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know why they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get called from pastors all the time with young churches and they're like, Hey, Here's what we're thinking about doing with small groups. And I'm like, well, you're telling me everything about the what. What I want to know is why. Why, why do you want to have small groups? Is it to close the back door of the church? I hope not. I hope that's not the only reason. Yeah. I mean, I hope it has something to do yeah. with the vision and the type of disciple you're trying to make. Yes. Because ministry is not sexy in terms of doing the what. I mean, it's not fun. Yeah. 
why it makes it fun. And the vision flows out of that. So you got to know that. And so many guys want to skip over that. They want to skip over the why and just start with the what. You can't. Mm -hmm. You just can't. The what and the how doesn't really move people like, like the why does, right? So if you were 20 some odd years old and planting a church today, Oh Lord, <laughs> that just made you tired, didn't I? <laughs> Let's just pray together. <laughs> <laughs> Starting out, g- give some practical action steps for that for that for that uh, young on fire planter that that we might be speaking to today. Well, one, you know, a vision is only a vision unless there's a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, God, God doesn't. God doesn't give us a vision without also unfolding his plan. And that's sometimes day by day by day. Mm-hmm. But I see too many guys saying, God told me. I call that pulling the God card. You can't argue with somebody when they say, God told me. Right. You know, God told me. And so we're packing the U-Haul. And they, they, they don't have a plan. They don't have a process. Yeah. And, and I see other guys get paralyzed. I see other guys get paralyzed. And because they they look at all the models and what everybody's doing and they can't figure who they want to be like. Mm-hmm. And Dan Ryland, executive pastor at 12 Stone Church, used to be with John Maxwell. He told me years ago, he said, Sean, no plan's perfect. Work your plan. Mm-hmm. So rather than getting like vision schizophrenia and running from conference to conference and, you know, changing their small group philosophy every 12 months after they get launched, I see this happen all the time. Yeah. Pick a process, work it and make it better. Just get yeah. better at making disciples. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could show you 10 of the fastest growing churches in America, and they have 10 different small group models. Yes. There is no perfect yeah. model. Right. Music style, Sunday school versus small groups, yeah. traditional versus non-traditional. There is no perfect plan. Yeah. But, but you working the process, this is who God's called us to be. This is how God's called us to tackle it. And we're going to work the plan. We're going to stick to the plan and let the process take care of itself. And we're going to make better and better disciples over time. Mm-hmm. That's something to give your life to. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Um, I, this might be thin ice, so be, I'm going to be a little, little bit careful with this. But I really believe that God has a mission field out there for us collectively, the big church. But he uniquely gifts and calls individual churches, small c, to take pieces of that. And so if we're all copying each other, we're going to miss part of the mission field, aren't we? I totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. We, we circumvent and short circuit, you know, God's plan when we do that because he's wired us. We reach who we are. Hmm. You know, we try to be somebody else. We're not reaching those people anymore. Hmm. I, I think it happens all the time. Yeah. So let's talk. I want to dig, uh, take another angle because it, I, as I read this book, I thought, okay, this is straight, you know, right at the heart of the church. And yet other organizations can benefit greatly from this. Why is it more fun to be involved with an organization that's vision driven? You know, Randy, I say in the book that anytime we or anyone else in the organization, we forget why we're doing what we're doing will eventually lose our passion. I don't care what you do. You know, after you've been doing it for six weeks, six months, six years, it's old hat. It's not what you do that motivates you. It's why you do it. And that's true for everyone in the organization. Uh, Managing databases and bookkeeping, all of that is not sexy stuff. It can make you cross-eyed. 
but it's why you do what you do. And I know that you guys do what you do. You as the CEO, you lead this company because of a why, not the what, to free up CEOs and pastors and leaders to become what God's called them to be and let them be in their sweet spot. That's what gets you up in the morning. It's not the what, it's the why. And, and that's also very, very encouraging and, and liberating for, for leaders around me. So I had leaders, you know, most of our lead team at Mountain Lake Church, as you know, they left larger, more successful ministries to come and work with me of all people. Not most of them smarter than me with higher IQs than me, but they would tell you they came because the vision, they came because the vision, because there was, they could see it in my eyes. They could hear it in my heart and my voice that I really believed it. I might be wrong, but I really believed in what I was selling. Yeah. And, and it makes all the difference in the world for people who work in an organization. Yeah, absolutely does. It's, it's jet fuel. Um, in the big scheme of things, and especially for the kingdom, you know, um, when, when people catch hold of what God wants to do in and through them, it, you are not going to stop them. And that's awesome. Bill Hybels, uh, you quoted him in the book, and I heard him say this before as, as well, that vision has a tendency to leak. So um, what do we do to counteract that? What's the best way to counteract vision leaking? He later said vision leaks every six weeks, you know, and some people might understand what that means, but I think we all know what it's like to get up and in a staff meeting, you know, we rally the troops or in a, in a congregational meeting or in a boardroom, you know, we rally the troops and there's tears in people's eyes and they're all fired up. And then, you know, six weeks later, we've got two angry emails from people who are in that room. We're like, what happened? Did they not hear what I said? I thought everybody was on board. And it's just the nature of the beast, you know? I mean, we're all naturally narcissistic, self-centered people. We have our own ideas and images and ambitions and agendas. And, you know, we tend to forget these things. And so I, I think it's the leader's job to constantly be reminding everybody why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's right. telling stories. I know no better way to celebrate and show everybody the bullseye and remind everybody why we're doing what we're doing than tell mm -hmm. stories. This is what we're about. This is why we're doing, you know, what, what we're doing. And then just clearly and consistently and articulately communicating that over and over and over again. Most leaders think they've communicated it too much. Most followers say we, we don't, we don't know what we're not clear. We don't understand. You have to communicate it way more intensely than what most leaders think. Yeah, that's, that's well said. If people have so much coming by them, in terms of information anymore that I think it's worse now than when Bill probably originally said that statement. <laughs> I had a mentor tell me years ago, Randy, that it was a wake up call for me. I was frustrated, you know, because vision had leaked a little bit and I felt like I'd done a great job. I'd taken a bunch of leaders off to a retreat and six weeks later, here we were. And I was frustrated. And he said, you realize Sean, they don't wake up every day thinking about this like you do. And when he said that to me, it was like, I'd never had that thought before. <laughs> if ever, and I, if I, as a leader, I had to mature to the point to realize if, if everyone's else, if someone else is more passionate about it than I am, mm -hmm. who gets it better than I do, then they should be the leader. The fact that I get it better 
and I'm more passionate about it. That's what makes me the leader. But my job is not to get down everybody because they're not as passionate about it as I am, but to close the gap between my passion level and their passion level. That's my job. I can't put that on them. That is my job. That's the definition to me about being mean about the vision. It's my responsibility to close that passion gap between me and them and, and bring them on the journey where they share it like I do. Wow. That, that's a great definition of one of our leadership responsibilities to close the passion gap. And that's well said. That's, that's if you think about it, there always should be one. Mm-hmm. There should always be one yeah. at the same time. I, you know, I think there was a stage in my leadership where I, I was offended if somebody didn't have the same level of passion or commitment to, to vision that I did, not realizing that that goes with the territory of leadership. Goes with the territory. Yeah. Goes with the territory. One of the conversations I thought that might be most helpful for, for um, especially pastors out there and, and church leaders trying to protect vision is to understand what kills vision or what, a, you know, what erodes vision. Um, you, you mentioned a few things in the book, but I'd like to unpack that a little bit. First of all, vision hijackers. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Yes, they do. And, and you know, un, unknowingly, unconsciously, vision hijackings happen every day in organizations. You know, when I was growing up, Randy, my parents told me as I was approaching driver's license age, you know, started driving, they said, don't stop and pick up hitchhikers. They told me not to stop and pick people up. And if you think about that on the surface, it sounds like a mean thing for parents to tell a young kid. You know, if you see a stranded motorist or somebody who can't get to point A from point A to point B with their vehicle, don't help them. Yeah. But there's a reason why they told me not to pick up hitchhikers because sometimes historically hitchhikers had become hijackers. Mm-hmm. And I think unbeknownst to us, the same thing can happen in organizations. People who kind of join the vision along the way, they mm-hmm. their vision hitchhikers. Yeah. So they jump on board, you know, because they think they want to go where you're going. Mm-hmm. Unknowingly sometimes, unconsciously, but sometimes very consciously, you know, those vision hitchhikers can become vision hijackers. Mm-hmm. And they seize the wheel. And mm-hmm. if we don't wake up, you know, and t- and hang on to the, to the wheel, we can end up miles away from our original intended destination. Right. And so that's what I talk about, you know, waking up and understand that we, we have a responsibility to finish with the vision, to be a good steward of the vision. There's a responsibility there. We just can't expect it to happen. There's a preservation and protection that we are responsible for the vision. Mm-hmm. That's, that's well said. Uh, what's the difference between a vision hijacker and a vision maverick? Well, sometimes, you know, I have found that, you know, when people try to hijack the vision, they don't mean to. Like, they just, mm-hmm. they just have a different idea. One of, the, one of the great responsibilities of leaders is try to get in your, in your head what's out of there mm-hmm. and get in everybody else's head so that we're on the mm-hmm. same page. And sometimes you just don't do a good enough job of that. And so they don't know what you're thinking. You haven't been clear. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, one, rep, one, one, one version of that Proverbs passage says, without a revelation, people cast off restraint. They wander off in their own direction. They don't mean to. Mm-hmm. They just have a different idea, different image in their head of what the vision looks like. And so sometimes it's, you know, in the church, we call that discipleship. 
<laughs> where we're trying to help people kind of reclaim what it really means to follow Jesus. Everybody thinks they know, you know, what it means, but they don't often. Mm-hmm. And so it's our job to help them sort of redefine what it means to follow Jesus. When all of our organizations, it's the same thing. There's a teaching there's sometimes a correcting, a coaching, mm-hmm. you know, that needs to happen. And so many times I have found in those situations, you know, would-be leaders might say to me, hey, I had no idea that's what you meant. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that's why you were trying to, to take us here. Now, now that you've rearticulated that, now that we've sat down and talked about this, I'm, I'm, I got it. I'm clear mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just need clarity. Mm-hmm. But a vision maverick is different. Mm-hmm. A vision maverick has an agenda. Mm-hmm. A vision maverick has a selfish ambition, a motivation. Mm-hmm. They want to take the organization somewhere and make it like they want to make it. And in the church world, of course, you've seen this happen as a former pastor as well. I don't know why people will leave one church that they didn't like, come to your church and try to make your church like the church they didn't like, and they left. Why do they do that? I know. <laughs> but, but people do it every Sunday. And so that's, that's when the real shepherding, you know, the prophetic side of leadership, I think is necessary. And, and the, the, the Nehemiah principle is saying, no, I'm Mm -hmm. not coming down, Mm -hmm. you know, from the wall. We're doing a great work. You're in the way. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think there's a need for courage and leadership to, to protect, to say no, and sometimes snatch the wheel and say, we're not going there. Mm-hmm. We're not doing that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of leaders are afraid to do that because we're, we're naturally people pleasers. We want everybody to like us. Yeah. Interesting. You, you brought up Nehemiah. Um, as Nehemiah worked through the actual wall building, there were, there were two types of opposition, the opposition from without and opposition from within. And, you know, as a believer and as a, Christian leader, I, I've never had problems with the opposition from without, but the opposition from within can be really painful, can it? Yes, it can. And, and you know, sometimes I've found that God gives you people for a season and you travel together. And then the unique visions for your lives and your ministries, you know, begin to differ at some point. You don't recognize it. And sometimes I think because of friendships and relationships in the organizations, we hold on a little too tightly. I I like to reference Paul and Barnabas who traveled together for a season of their ministry. But as they got near the third quarter, Mm -hmm. it it began to get intense and there was some conflict there. And so what, what I love about the way they handled it is rather than it blowing up and then never speaking to each other again and defaming each other on Facebook, (laughs) they just decided, Hey, we're brothers and we're different. Mm -hmm. We've aged, we've matured in our faiths. Mm -hmm. And as we discover more of who we are, the unique visions for each of our lives and our ministries are a little bit different than what we collectively shared at one time. So let's agree as brothers, you know, rather than, than run each other down and complain and frustrate each other and, and in the process stagnate each other's spiritual growth. Yeah. Why don't we just agree the kingdom's big enough for both of us. Mm-hmm. You, you go that direction. I'll go this direction mm-hmm. and we can still be used by God and pursue mm-hmm. his vision for our individual individual lives. And I think so many times like we hang on to people, you know, too tight that are struggling versus mm-hmm. recognizing that when that person's struggling with the vision, it may be because God's birthing a vision in them that's different from ours. And that's okay. It doesn't make them sinful or wrong or us right or us wrong. 
It just means God's doing something unique and different. And sometimes I think we need the courage to let people go, let yeah. people pursue their own vision. Sometimes they, they can be reclaimed and redeemed, but sometimes I think we try too hard to do that and hold on to everybody. And frankly, some of the, the worst wreckage I had in ministry were staff relationships where I liked the person so much. Mm. I think I tried to hold on too long and they did too, yeah. rather than agreeing in a shorter on a shorter runway. Hey, you know what? God's doing something different here. Mm-hmm. Potentially moving us in. Let's recognize this early and let's bless each other. Let's bless each other. There's plenty of room in the kingdom for us to operate. I hope yeah. that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I think that's a great application of this. Um, I have seen in a few instances, and I've done some, uh, some limited uh, consulting and coaching of some churches over the years. And uh, I've seen some, some places that really lost their vision because of bringing staff in that didn't align with vision. And instead of recognizing that in the screening and hiring process, they, they change their vision as an organization or as a church because of that. Yeah, we talk about, you know, the three C's in corporate world church, character, chemistry, capacity. Mm-hmm. But, but I would, you know, the a fourth element of that would be vision chemistry. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. to ask, we've got to poke holes in. And past behavior is future, is best predictor of future behavior. Yep. Right. And I found if they've never operated in a culture similar to your culture, if they've never pursued a vision like the vision, you're, you're, it, they might say they want it. They might think they want it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's such high capacity sometimes. There's such mm-hmm. high character sometimes. Mm-hmm. You'll want to pretend like that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then they get on the team and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And the, the safer and slower we can be with leadership placement. God said, be careful with new leaders in the yeah. church. Be careful. Yes. Be yeah. careful. Yeah. Vision chemistry is very important. Sean, we, you know, obviously I've read the book. I love it. I think every pastor and church leader, and I think teams should lead the book. You wrote a section at the end of each chapter uh, for journal because you've learned the habit of journaling. But I also love the fact that these probe for your journal also are great fodder for team discussion, aren't they? Yeah. I think, you know, one of the, one of the best ways we kept our team unified over time, and, you know, I mean, we added a lot of team members. We saw some team members go. We saw team members come, you know. But over the years, the, the, the sanctity of the vision was able to stay in place because I spent a lot of time with the leaders. We'd go through resources constantly. Yeah. We'd go through books together constantly. Yeah. And, and several things happen in that kind of environment. One, they're able to get in my head and get in my heart in close proximity mm-hmm. as we talk about things versus just managing the minutia of ministry or the organization. They're able to hear from my heart more, you know, what I'm about, why I'm doing, why I'm passionate about this, et cetera, et cetera. But secondly, I do think little inconsistencies, incongruencies of the vision mm-hmm. can bubble up in those discussions. Mm-hmm that wouldn't bubble up in the normal day-to-day life of the organization and planning of ministry or business and meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it allows that to happen. And I remember once, you know, it was a, it was a student pastor years ago there at Mount Lake. It was one of those discussions that, you know, the student pastor just basically said, hey, I think God's revealed to me today that I'm on a different track than the rest of the team. Wow. You know, and God's planted a little bit different vision in my heart. Wow. And we were both very, very thankful yeah. for that discussion and agreed as brothers and worked on a 
you know, an exit plan. We did it very, very well, you know, behind the scenes. But I don't think it would have ever happened if we weren't in a group talking about the vision. Yeah. Wow. Talking about why we're doing what we're doing and, and, and thinking strategically rather than tactically and, and giving a place for leaders to talk through those issues in a safe place, in yeah. a safe place. Right. Wow. I love that application. And, I, you know, that's one of the things, the growing trends that I'm seeing and hearing is teams wanting content that they can read together, unpack together, and then grow together. Um, and I think this book is tailor-made for that for any church staff team. And so my admonition is, um, as the outsider who just read the book and saw the follow-up questions between each chapter, read this together. Uh, get get copies of it and read it together. It will be it'll it'll uh, be well worth your time, and I think it'll it'll change the dynamic of your discussion. It'll focus you into some some new areas, and so I think that's a great gift for every every church staff team, Sean. I tell leaders all the time, like. Unifying the staff, it's not, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's, it's, it's shared experiences and content. Mm-hmm. It's proximity and it's consistency. Mm-hmm. If you commit to that, mm-hmm. the team will align. Right. Or the ones who have no idea of, of doing that will leave. Mm-hmm. Because they, they understand you're on a mission. This is your heart. This is your direction. This is where the team is going. Right. And if I don't buy into that, then I don't need to be here. I mean, it is one of the best ways to crystallize the vision, shared experiences, shared content, proximity, and consistency. If you mm-hmm. commit to those four things, I'm convinced you can align and unify any team. That's Wow. That's uh, well said, and I think a great point of application for every leader out there listening to the podcast today, and uh, love, uh, love what you've shared. Um, again, Sean, thank you for, first of all, taking the time to, to write the book, to put your experience into words. I think you've had a unique perspective that God's allowed you to share from, and I know many will benefit from it, so thank you for that. Thank you for your friendship and uh, your partnership. And uh, we at Mag Bookkeeping love getting to serve you and your organization as well. And so thank you for allowing us to do that. But I'm, I'm glad that we in this uh, circle that serve churches together get to do life together occasionally as well. I, I just love uh, the uh, team of partners and folks that are all trying to do the same thing, and that is to, to help equip, strengthen, and encourage church and church leaders so that um, we can continue to see them on point and on mission. Honored to be a friend and partner, man. Thanks for um, spending some time with me today. Well, And folks, thank you for joining us today on uh, this podcast. I want to remind everybody that a full transcript of this discussion today is available on our uh, website, and that is magbookkeeping.com. Um, and there's a, there's a podcast button on that website. Uh, you'll find the, this episode will be simply entitled Sean Lovejoy, uh, be mean about vision. And, uh, Sean, will also put a link uh, to you if folks want to connect with you. I know you're doing a lot of coaching and consulting and speaking to church leaders. And I'm love that, uh, you're, you're, you're sharing your passion and gifts in that way. Uh, and also, we'll make sure there's a link into the book. And folks, get a copy of the book. I think it will bless you and your team if you, if you spend some time in it together. Um, so, 
those things are there and available. And until next time, um, look forward to reconnecting on the Fully Engaged Church podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Fully Engaged Church podcast, brought to you by Mag Bookkeeping. For more information on helping your church become more fully engaged, visit us at magbookkeeping.com or follow us on Twitter at magbookkeeping. Join us next time for another episode of the Fully Engaged Church.